Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brains. Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. This week, we nerd out with author Eden Lepucky about books by everyone from Jennifer Egan to Edith Wharton. She has the physical markers of the abuses of slavery, so she, like, carries them on her body. It's a really intense book. That gives me goosebumps. Yeah. Other times I was just blown away by the very nature of the story. Just She just went there. And then we talk with TLDR podcast hosts Alex Goldman and PJ Vote about being internet nerds. Alex is better at understanding things. And I think I'm good at, what if we compare this to noodles? Like, what if the metaphor was noodles? <laughs> noodles as metaphor, literary beach reads, and your nerd confessions. That's all coming up on Nerdette. This is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. This week, we talk with Alex Goldman and PJ Vogt, hosts and producers of the podcast TLDR. But first, Eden Lepucky. She just wrote this awesome novel called California, which I highly recommend. It came out in July. Not only is it a really great book in its own right, but it's also part of this small publishing company you may have heard of called Hachette. So this is the debate between the big box store of the Internet when it comes to books, Amazon and all the little guys. Hachette being the poster boy for the little guys in this debate about who should be making money off books, how much they should cost... Exactly. Hachette did not agree to some pricing terms that Amazon had. And as a result, Amazon kind of pushed them out. And it's been this controversy. And a lot of different authors who are on the Hachette label have jumped into the fray. Probably the loudest and most noteworthy of which is Stephen Colbert. So Eden's gotten the Colbert bump now. It's time to give her a nerdette bump. Are we a bump yet? I don't think we're a bump for people yet, really. But we really like it when they come on our show. I think nerdette nod, maybe? A nerdette nod, yes. Often those apocalyptic, dystopian, futuristic stories are all the stakes, right? You know, it's like, how are we going to save the world right now? Everyone has to be a hero. And I think California takes a really great, very different approach to that typical genre story. Yeah, I think it was kind of liberated because I don't read a lot of that genre. I'm getting a lot of recommendations along the way from a lot of other journalists and big readers of the dystopian post-apocalyptic narratives of things to read. So I have a lot of homework. But because I don't read that very often, and what I mostly read is more realist fiction, I feel like the book has the end of the world or a kind of ruined landscape in the background. But what's in the foreground is this couple 
and a bunch of other interpersonal relationships. And in some ways, people keep asking me, like, this is a unique apocalypse. How did you think of it? And I'm kind of like, well, I just sort of did what I knew how to do. And I accidentally stumbled upon, if people think it's new, I made it new by accident. I love that you said that you have a lot of homework because that's actually a thing we do in the podcast where we ask our guests to assign our listeners homework. Ooh, I like that. And it's that. that idea of we're all nerds. We were the ones who asked for extra homework. So oh, I used I'm to glad. do homework on Friday night in Exactly, college. you know? <laughs> so what kind of homework have you been getting from people who like California? Um, the writer Robin Sloan, who wrote Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore, he suggested the Octavia Butler Parables trilogy. And I love her book, Kindred, which is a time travel novel about a black woman in L.A. in the 80s who goes back to the slavery era. And she has a white boyfriend in L.A., in contemporary L.A. And so, but every time she goes to the antebellum South and then she returns to L.A., she has the physical markers of the abuses of slavery. She, like, carries them on her body. It's a really intense book. That gives me goosebumps. Yeah. it's At times, I felt like the premise was better than the book itself. But other times, I was just blown away by the very nature of the story. Just She just went there. So she has a post-apocalyptic, these parable trilogies. And he said, Robin told me in an email after it, because I wrote him to thank him, he blurred my book and was very generous about it. So I thanked him and he wrote like, have you read these books? Because I feel like they're in conversation with your books. I think he said something like, the woman in that series took the same roads out of LA that Cal and Frida did or something. They run parallel. That's kind of at the top of my list. I find that often it happens with a book where I end up enjoying the premise more than the actual mm -hmm. execution of the story. Yeah. Is the premise just always going to be better because the conclusion can just never be as perfect as you hope it is? I think if you're excited about the premise, then you really like the plot. And then from there, I think there's so many offshoots of that particular plot. So you have a set of expectations that the book doesn't fulfill. I find the books that I like the best actually take the longest to explain, or I'm like, this is the premise, but it's not really that. It's something else. Look at Me by Jennifer Egan is one of my favorite books. And I always say, and I think this is what the jacket copy says, it's about a model who gets in a car accident and her face is so ruined by the wreck that she doesn't look like herself anymore. And it's about image culture. And then I'm like, but that sounds great. And that is a good book. And that's partially in there. But then there's also a teenage girl in it who gets involved with her mysterious math teacher. There's all kinds of stuff about terrorism in that book. There's a detective. I mean, there's so many other elements of the book that kind of defy the distillation of the pitch. And I think most good books are like that. That's very true. Yeah. I haven't read that one, but it's I so loved good. A Visit from the Goon Squad. Oh, I love like, I mean, I love, I'm like a Jennifer Egan yeah. super fan. I wrote her a fan email to an account that I found somewhere. And months later, she wrote me and said, oh, this is like a shell account that I use because it was a widely available email address. So she didn't check it very often. So she finally checked it and she took the time to write me back. And so we kind of got into this letters to a young writer kind of situation. Not really, but she was nice enough to entertain my emails and then I interviewed her for a visit from the goon squad and I just devour everything she writes I think she's so smart and her work is so entertaining too I love that because I think a lot of people are really scared to reach out to the people they admire although now in the age of email like I am a new writer people send it. me emails now <laughs> I think it's so amazing and wonderful so what summer reading would you recommend I think there's two camps. There's, well, I only read thoughtless stuff or just fun stuff in the summer. And then other people are like, oh, I'm reading Ulysses this summer. And I'm kind of like, you should just read whatever you want. And I tend to kind of swing back and forth. The book that I've been recommending lately is a book that is a very well-known book. It's called The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. And I'm recommending it because it really 
It's just amazing. And I obviously so many people have already read it and they're like, welcome to the party, Eden. But I thought, talk about a character who is really complicated female character. This woman, Lily Bart, who's so beautiful, but it's in her 20s now and she must marry because she has no family. She has no income. So marriage is really her only viable choice. And she keeps sabotaging those choices because she actually doesn't want to be hemmed in by marriage. And she's both unlikable and totally sympathetic at the same time. And she's kind of fascinated because she's been created by the fact that everyone always looks at her as this beautiful, elegant woman. So she really has no clear sense of self until she does. It's just a fascinating, tragic novel. I mean, is it a beach read? I would probably say no. I've been recommending Sweetness Number 9, Stefan Eric Clark's book. That would be a good summer read because it's really funny, very fast-paced. It's about a flavorist. He's a chemist, and in the 70s, he's doing research to make sure there are no side effects for this sugar substitute called Sweetness Number 9. It's like a pink sugar. And he starts to see weird things in the rats that he is observing, but he doesn't tell anyone. And then the book fast-forwards to the 90s when he's married and with kids and the family's all dysfunctional and it's kind of over the top in the terms of what their dysfunctions are like the son isn't using verbs um, but it's not like it's written I mean the way I want to go back and reread it because I think the son is never using verbs until someone points it out and then they notice it because the son's just speaking in like half sentences like salad dressing go ahead you know that's a verb I can't that's even totally do it a verb. <laughs> I can't, uh, verb is the heart of a sentence I can't take it out if you want to let Eden know that you heard about her first on Nerdette, you can give her a Nerdette nod, a new thing we just created that's like the Colbert bump, but much, much, much smaller. That you can do by tweeting at Eden. Her handle is... E-D-A-N-L. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You're listening to Nerdette. Trisha, we've come up with several ways of describing the TLDR guys. What was it last week? Internet detective buddy cop film. (laughs) Right, or On the Media's cool younger brother. And it does come from the On the Media shop, which is where both PJ Vote and Alex Goldman are producers. On the net, it was a good day. People kind of in their like late 20s, early 30s become the default IT person wherever you are. And I was wondering if with you guys, it's even a step further where all of a sudden you are just the unofficial spokespeople for the Internet. On the first part, like Alex is. (laughs) It's not just that I'm an unofficial IT person. I spent five years as an official IT person before I got into public radio and then came into public radio and (laughs) became the person where it's like, oh yeah, he does really nice radio stories um, and edits really well. But, but seriously, Alex, can you just fix this printer, please? (laughs) That kind of happens with Trisha. Yeah. If you ever want me to like upgrade the RAM on your computer, I actually have that power. You really can do that? Yeah. (laughs) Do you, what you need to? No, I just didn't know that anybody could do that. (laughs) 
when I'm writing stuff on the blog that feels like it's working, a lot of times what it feels like is explaining what happened on the internet today to someone who's a little bit exhausted by all of it and trying to say, here were the interesting or good or worthwhile parts, and here's a little bit of context around them. I feel like we're both scared to say that we're spokespeople for the internet. Maybe not among the general public, but so explain yourself, person who likes the internet. Right, you know, like, what's the deal (laughs) with this Reddit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what's the deal with Reddit and explain yourself, person who likes the internet, are directly (laughs) questions that we've answered. Yeah, that's definitely how I feel in my life. Specifically with my wife, it's like... She has much better things to do with her life (laughs) than to sit around all day reading bad news and watching Twitter drama. And I do not. (laughs) I am the capsule reviewer of what's going on on the Internet. There's certain arcana that only we care about. And I think that the challenge, I guess, of what we do is to explain why it might matter to anybody outside of the two of us. But then also in a way where the people who already know about it don't feel like this is... A stupid, like, you see it sometimes, I think, in, like, newspaper writing where there will be a sentence and then there will be the sort of, like, cause after it that explains (laughs) what it is to somebody who doesn't know. Surfing, a sport in which people go out on boards (laughs) in the ocean, comma, and, like, the hard part is explaining stuff to people who kind of half care but have real lives, but then also in a way for the rest of people who, like, love just staring at the internet all day feel like there's something useful in it for them, too. So I wonder where you draw inspiration for finding ways to explain some of these complicated things to people. In my head, I think Alex is better at understanding things correctly. He's very smart. And I think once I get it, I'm good at the like compression part of it. You're the one who's like, oh, it's a sport on the ocean with the waves. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I'm good at the, what if we compare this to noodles? Like, what what if the metaphor was noodles? (laughs) Like, I mean, you do it too. What? Metaphors? Yeah. With noodles. Uh, I would say that explanation is only as good as making people care. And the best way to make people care is to create a story in which there are personal stakes or there's a person at the center of it. What you're saying makes me realize is like we usually don't. It's not like we think, oh, it would be fun to explain this arcane, crazy thing. It's more like we really want to tell this story. And to understand this, you're going to have to understand this mountain of weird information To get to it. (laughs) I think it helps that what we care about usually is like a person or a story. And like a really nice thing somebody said about our show is even the ones that look boring aren't. (laughs) I think it's because sometimes there is like a thicket of like, here's a weird subculture or here's a weird policy or here's a weird website. But give us 30 seconds to explain it and we'll hopefully get to something that's recognizably human and worthwhile. The Vile Rat story, which was about a game that's so complex that even as a gamer, I did the two-hour tutorial on how to play the game and found it totally impenetrable. (laughs) And then my job was to explain it in enough detail that it explained the world to people who don't play it, but was detailed enough to satisfy the people who actually do play it because they were the subjects of the story. So the onus of of reporting that story was that I had to do that. Like I would love to just have the option to let people download all the information required into their brains so that I could just be like, and here's the human part. I mean, the way that I would describe TLDR is the human side of the Internet, really. I mean, that's kind of what you guys are doing, right? Isn't that sort of the point? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. If we're doing it right, I would say so. The object is to sort of always get at what it is that makes interaction great or terrible. Because, I mean, the Internet allows people to interact and find a meaning in ways that are, like, totally new. And the depths are have yet to be plumbed and... 
a real significant way. So we're just trying to mine all of that. I want to know about the conversation that led to the decision to ban Internet hoaxes as something that you guys talk about on the podcast. Uh I think this came from me. Yeah, it came from PJ. And it was <laughs> a friend of mine who I love a lot, who's pretty mean to me all the time, was like, hey, I really like your podcast where every week you guys look at a different internet hoax. <laughs> he meant that as a kind insult. But it did feel like one of the things that's hard is there's definitely like archetypes of stories. And one of the archetypes, particularly if you're covering the internet, is like a thing that turns out to be not true. And it just felt like we'd done a lot of those stories in a short amount of time. And I didn't want us to feel like we were repeating ourselves or being like fixated. But it's also weird because doing a ban on hoaxes was a little bit jokey because right now we're living in a moment where talking about the internet means talking about like whether you can trust people and whether it matters if something's a lie and like why some lies feel different than other lies. Like you kind of can't sail around that. Another archetype which we've tried to avoid, which is really easy to do, I think, is the unexpected celebrity trope or like the sudden viral sensation trope. I mean, we did it in our second episode with the guy who had his picture, the typewriter photo posted on Reddit. But if you do a story every week, which is people being like, how did it feel to suddenly lose control of your image or your thing you created? It could just get kind of samey. And it's hard because the idea is always going to be the same. Like sometimes we'll try to give each other permission to do something that on its face looks similar to something else. But the the conclusion or the idea it's messing around with is different or adds a wrinkle to something we've already done. I was worried with the Reddit one because it is such a thing that happens on the Internet. And I was like, there might be a better version of the story. But you uh, feel like you sort of use it up. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I mean, maybe it's something we'll change our minds about going forward. The people who like the show seem to like the show and no one said anything mean about it or like critical about it where it was like, huh, sometimes somebody won't like an episode or they won't like a line or whatever. But it feels like some of the stories that we've done have been things that we always wanted to do as producers on the media, but they were sort of hard to sell because it, unless you're already bought into the idea that the internet is like interesting and the things that happen on it are real, it's sort of like, well, who cares about like YouTube comments or something? And so we, we've done some of that backlog and now we're like, this is awesome. We get to do this show every week about the internet. And then we're also like, <laughs> we have to do a show every week about the internet. <laughs> I think we can relate to that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you got to feed the beast. What do you guys do to feed the beast? Like, what do you do when you're like, oh, we've talked about all the things? I don't think we're there yet. No. Because when we conceived of the show, we decided pretty early on to use nerd as a verb so we could talk about anything. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, that is smart. <laughs> because that way we maybe only talked to one person about comics in our whole first season. And we can circle back to that from a very different angle, but we can also talk to somebody who makes and paints miniature sculptures of Napoleonic scenes and then the next week talk to somebody who was in space. Like, it's all nerdy to us. It's all fun. In terms of, like, things to talk about, like, even PJ, we were like, oh, we could just nerd out with him about Chipotle for 20 we minutes. We do love you Chipotle. Know? Me and Alex basically only ate Chipotle for a year. Yeah, we've leaned <laughs> ourselves off of it, to be honest. <laughs> but we spent an entire year, right when we were becoming friends, working together, just every single day in this weird, obsessive way going to Chipotle. Chipotle is an important part of our origin story as co-host, too, so maybe it's the guacamole is the secret sauce in some Wait, way. What, why yeah. was it? Please tell is us. Is that, that where story. you got? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I grew up in Alaska where there are no chain, like I've never been to Red Lobster or like any of these weird places. So I had just never been to Chipotle. And I mentioned that to Trisha once. And yeah, her eyes got really big and she was just like, are you kidding me? So we went and then it was like, we have to go all of the time. How long did it take for you to be completely burned out or are you not burned out? 
Well, now I live in Asheville. I'm two hours away from Chipotle. I have to either go to Charlotte, North Carolina or like eastern Tennessee. Whenever I happen to be like within 40 minutes of a Chipotle, I go to Chipotle. And she'll go to visit people in Charlotte for the weekend, but we say she's going to Chipotle this weekend. (laughs) Chipotle's a cruel mistress. Oh my God. So one thing we like to do on our podcast is ask our guests to give our listeners homework. You know the Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite scene in 2001? That's like what I'm seeing in my head. All of the things that I'm interested in flying by my flying, flying through. Don't give people a cultural thing. Alex's tastes are really obscure. and That's okay. All right. No, my tastes aren't obscure. Your tastes are just really milk toast and bad. When you say that, I always think, I always hear it as M I L K T O A S T. And it's like oh, yeah. this weird food that nobody would eat. But it sounds terrible. Yeah, yeah it, does it does sound really sound bad. So it kind of gets the job done. Yeah, what is it really? Is it not milk toast? No, it's what like there's it? a Q in there it's somewhere. It's M-I-L-Q-U-E, and oh. I don't know what it means. <laughs> but, but onomatopoetically, it works as milky toast as well. Yeah, it like works that. much better. I, I mean, it, it means like sort of conventional and boring, but I don't know I don't know the etymology. Can it be toast with an O with an umlaut over it? Milk oh toast? <laughs> milk toast. <laughs> I'll tell you, <laughs> this is like the this is super homeworky. Good. So the podcast that I don't really listen to a lot of public radio podcasts because we have to make a public radio podcast. Um, <laughs> we listen to a lot of comedy podcasts because it's just like so different from what we're doing, and it's like unedited and long, and it's fun. A lot of our comedy podcasts come from Earwolf, like they do comedy bang bang. Yeah, but they have a podcast called The Wolf's Den, which is the business guy at Earwolf, Jeff Ulrich, talking to podcasters about the economics of podcasting and it's like actually so interesting and it's funny because he's constantly like talking about how boring he's like no one listens to this who would ever listen to this but it's just sort of like because we're all doing this thing we're getting some station support and there's this idea that's going to work but the how of it is actually kind of an interesting question hearing people just sort of talking about how they're thinking about this stuff I really love and it's super nerdy if people want to listen to that a good episode of it David Plotz who's uh, an editor at Slate his episode is really interesting it's about him coming to understand podcasts a lot of what he talks about is how people who listen to podcasts have a different relationship to podcasts than people who like almost any other cultural product like even Slate podcast fans are more devout and more like excited and more diehard than Slate readers who are like a pretty devout diehard group. So I liked that one. That was really good. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> You're a really cool guy. Oh. I just moved to New Jersey. PJ thinks that's really funny. Did you hear him laugh like snicker as I said it? <laughs> um, the joke's on him. I have a backyard and a front yard and a house that's beautiful on a quiet Two yards. Street. Yeah. Almost forgot about them after living in Brooklyn for 10 years. Alex lives in the neighborhood that's the neighborhood from the movie Pleasantville. And actually, like, when he gets off the train at the end of the day, everything's in black and white. Wait, is that real? Yeah, yeah. yeah. this neighborhood in Pleasantville? Oh, no. Not really. Oh, I wasn't seriously asking you if everything was really black and white when I lived in my house. Oh my God. Um, but moving there has put me going swimming in places that aren't public pools, sort of much more in the realm of the possible. And I'm not talking about the ocean because I didn't grow up near the ocean. I'm not an ocean dude. What are you talking about? Swimming that? holes, man. Swimming, swimming holes, in dude. North Carolina is full of those things. Oh, yeah. So the homework I'd like to give your listeners is to go find a non ocean, non swimming pool place to swim. If it has a waterfall, that's a bonus. If Alex like- Goldman is telling people to go jump in a lake. Sure. Or a pond or a river. The 
best possible place to swim is a place with either a waterfall you can sit under or something you can jump off of or a rope swing. What about a dock? That's basically the key to happiness and... A dock is great, too. When I lived in Brooklyn, I would drive for hours to get to one of these and spend a couple hours there. And now I'm going to have to only drive 30 minutes, which is going to be amazing. You're listening to PJ Vote and Alex Goldman, who are hosts of TLDR. Thank you guys for taking the time for talking with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Our homework for you, obviously, if you haven't already listened to TLDR, is to check it out. They are true co-hosts, through and through. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about, Trisha. (laughs) This is Nerdette. You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita, here with Greta Johnson. We asked Eden Lepucky to give us some homework as well. Okay, so I have a cooking homework that is a meal to eat when you're reading. You have to cut up some kale. I live in California, so I have to give this recipe. And then this is also for my friend Doug, who's in the studio, and he doesn't eat enough vegetables, so this is for him too. So cut up some kale, take the ribs out, cut up in little bite size, melt some butter and olive oil together in a frying pan, and throw the kale in there. Then you want to put some sea salt on there. I recommend Malden sea salt, which is very fancy. Actually, the day I sold my book, I went right out and bought myself some Maldens to celebrate. You know, or you can just use kosher salt, but some good salt and pepper. Do a little squeeze of lemon. Then you're going to cook a sunny side up egg. You're going to put the kale on the plate, and then you're going to put the sunny side up egg on top, and then you're going to let the yolk get all up in that kale. And this is a great meal for reading because you can put it in a bowl, not a plate actually, and then you don't even have to look at it while you're eating, and then you can just have the yolk like all over your face while you're reading your favorite new book. Thanks to Eden for that homework and for joining us this week. Now it's time to hear from you. Nerd Confessions! This confession is short and sweet, and we don't believe it for a minute. This is George from Chicago, and my nerd confession is I cannot quote one line from the movie Princess Bride. Not one. Inconceivable. Totally inconceivable. It doesn't make any sense. No more rhyming, and I mean it. As you wish. Anybody want a peanut? I can quote whole pages <laughs> of this script. <laughs> oh, that's why I love it. And you. I know where to find George. Have <laughs> you <laughs> have you read the book that the movie is based on? Of course not, Greta, but of course you have. <laughs> I know, isn't it kind of perfect? Speaking of ridiculous You have seen the movie, though, right? I have seen the movie, and I did see the movie first, but I loved the book very much. Nerd confessions, nerd fails. Call us and tell us, 312-600-5638. Anything from epic fails to humble brags are welcome. Again, that's 312-600-5638. You can be anonymous or leave your name. It's completely up to you. We just want your confessions. Or you could suggest a great lady nerd of history for us to profile. Or tell us what you're nerding out about these days. We love voicemails. You can also find us at nerdatpodcast.com. Talk with us on Twitter, at nerdatpodcast. Like us on Facebook. And sign up for our uber nerdy newsletter. It's fun in the nerdiest, linkiest, emailiest kind of ways. Thanks to Alex Goldman, PJ Vote, and Eden Lepucky for nerding out with us this week. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. Joe Dassault is our miracle max. To blave, which means to bluff. He owes you money, huh? See, I don't think we need to actually use any clips from the movie (laughs) because we have you saying them so beautifully. I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! Additional help comes from Iris Lynn and Patrick Burns. Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. Wait till I get going! Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. 
More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Thank you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Write a review and throw some stars on iTunes if you're feeling generous. It helps us spread the good word about Nerdette. Speaking of generosity, there's another wonderful thing you can do for Nerdette. Yeah, if you're a nerd with a business or who works for one that might want to get your messaging across to Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite this show. Email us, nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to find out more. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Have fun storming the castle. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.